Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Another one-day strike by journalists. What managers did at a Starbucks in Seattle. And today on the show, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. And it's our first Friday with Fred, Fred Redman of the AFL-CIO. Welcome to the Friday, February 2nd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Dorsey Hager is going to be our first guest on the show today. He serves as Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, columbusconstruction.org. And uh, Dorsey is going to fill us in on a conversation that we had last month, which really surprised me. And this was the awarding of a $2 billion contract to uh, construct a new terminal at the John Glenn Columbus International Airport. Sadly, the contract was awarded to an out-of-state outfit, Hensel Phelps, a company that severed, severed negotiations with the Columbus Building Trades for a community benefit agreement. And Dorsey writes, a CBA with opt-outs would defeat the whole purpose of an agreement and leave the project unnecessarily exposed to claims of unequal treatment of workers without the fallout and conflict that it would create. And being an out-of-state contractor, who, by the way, is a member of the Associated Builders and Contractors, a notorious anti-union organization, it is unclear whether their representatives were ever truly interested in negotiating an agreement with the trades that would put our community first. And this is going to hurt a lot of people. It's really going to hurt a lot of people. I'll tell you, this was a surprise to many that this company got the contract, and it's not good. And hopefully, I don't know what can be done, but we're going to talk about it right here on America's Workforce. We're also going to talk about the NAB2 Leaders Conference. That's the North American Building Trades, and also touch on politics. So Dorsey will be our first guest later in the show. We're going to check in with my good buddy, Fred Redman, Secretary-Treasurer, the AFL-CIO. And uh, actually, he's out in Los Angeles today. You know, February is Black History Month, and they have an event dealing with, uh, well, obviously, black history and the role of Dr. Martin Luther King, who often said civil rights and labor rights are intertwined. So we'll touch on that. And we're going to zero in on uh, the situation on the border And I urge you to go to the AFL-CIO website and read what they have posted. It's aflcio.org, the five essentials for a just response to the migrant surge. And uh, one of them is, uh, you know, welcome them humanely. Don't treat them like dirt. Prevent labor exploitation. You know, (laughs) you know, there's a lot. A lot of companies that would just gobble up those migrants and use them because they could pay them on the cheap. And if they complain, hey, get out of here. You're deported. That's happening as we speak. You know that. 
Uh, a couple more here. Expand humanitarian protections. Work with unions. Provide resources to frontline communities. Do check that out. We're also going to touch on the year of labor. This is also posted on the national website. and is written by President Liz Schuler. And the bottom line on this is last year was just the beginning. We have seen so much good happen in, in labor, especially last year. And I've talked about this on the show many, many times, especially with the Teamsters, the UAW, SAG-AFTRA, my union. And uh, many are of the opinion that it's going to continue well beyond this year because people are fired up. And we've got, obviously, labor-friendly people in the White House. We've got a good NLRB. And uh, things are happening. So do check that out. The year of labor, 2023, just the beginning, authored by uh, Liz Schuler. Now a brief look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. An NLRB administrative law judge held that managers at two Starbucks stores, this is in Seattle, they unlawfully interrogated workers about their intent to engage in planned strikes from last April to July. Specifically, the judge found that the baristas received threatening phone calls asking when the strike would end. In placing these calls, get this, the managers, well, they probably didn't know it. They were forced to do it, I'm sure. They engaged in unlawful interrogation that interfered with the employee's strike intentions in violation of the National Labor Relations Act. Now, this decision, by the way, (laughs) brings the count of board-determined labor law violations by Starbucks to a whopping 43. Isn't that amazing? Just amazing. They just break the law. They don't care. They just don't care. Journalists at the Chicago Tribune, the Orlando Sentinel, the Virginian Pilot, and other major newspapers went on strike yesterday. Why? In protests of mismanagement by the newspaper's venture capitalist owner, Alden Global Capital. The company has refused to offer cost-of-living raises, threatened to end 401k matches, and neglected to offer paid parental leave. By the way, since being purchased by Alden, the paper's staff have shrunk to less than half of what they were at the time of the takeover. Notably, the strike is expected to disrupt the newspaper's production rather than just send a symbolic signal to the public, which is what recent media walkouts at the New York Times Condé Nast have actually aimed for. We have talked about Alden Global Capital many, many times on this show with John Schloys, who is the president of the News Guild. And again, this is a Wall Street, pretty much a hedge fund that gobbles up a lot of businesses, slashes staff for one reason and one reason only, so they can make a whole lot of money. And it's sad, too, because they're destroying journalism. By the way, journalists are also leaving the Washington Post. And this is because of the purchase by Jeff Bezos. Now, that goes back to uh, 2013 when he bought the newspaper. And it was pretty much hands-off. He said, you know, I'm just going to buy the newspaper. Well, things have changed. The newspaper's management 
offered buyouts in the fall and suggested that employees would face layoffs unless 240 employees took the offer. Well, as a result, the Washington Post Guild said more employees expressed their intention to leave rather than deal with it anymore. Can you blame them? UPS announced this week that they are going to be cutting 12,000 jobs. The cuts represent less than 3% of the company, their workforce, and includes only non-union workers. Now, in July, you'll recall the UPS signed a contract with the Teamsters to push pay for full-time drivers up to $49 per hour. And despite the pay increases, the company reported $24.92 billion in fourth quarter revenue for 2023. You know, GM came out with uh, numbers too this week and uh, they had a very profitable year and they were crying, oh no, we can't pay the auto workers. Well, (laughs) so much for that argument, right? And one more here, unions in Philadelphia are providing support to help members buy homes, which obviously is a response to the housing crisis in the country. Helping workers find housing, which constitutes most of Americans' largest expense. Just think about this. The first thing you you want to buy is a car, and obviously you want a house, and a good house. Well, they ain't cheap anymore. This is good for unions, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. The services provided include matching union members with realtors and lenders, discounts on insurance, which has really skyrocketed, and also some rebates. And one union, AFSME, the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, is now holding seminars to help members improve their credit ratings and hospitality workers with Unite Here. This would be Local 11 in Central California. They're very, very vocal about uh, affordable housing because housing costs in Southern California are through the roof. So a lot of unions speaking out. Hopefully we'll see some changes here. All right, quick break. Dorsey Hager on behalf of the Central Ohio Building Trades coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Blue Cross and Blue Shield companies formed out of a need to provide affordable health care to teachers, loggers, and miners. In 1965, the Blues developed the National Labor Office to strengthen its commitment to organized labor. Today, Blue Cross and Blue Shield's National Labor Office remains focused on America's workers, advocating for affordable and equitable health care, partnering with strategic alliances to provide industry-leading products and services, and proudly serving more than 18 million unionized workers, retirees, and their families. Working hard for America's working families. For the health of America. Learn more by following them at Blue Labor on LinkedIn and X, formerly known as Twitter. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com. 
America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Hey, if you missed yesterday's show, do check it out on awfpodcast.com. I had a really good conversation with Eddie Hall who has been uh, general president of the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen for a little over a year now. And we zeroed in right away on what happened in East Palestine, Ohio, a year ago tomorrow. A year, it was February 3rd. Boy, I remember that day. And uh, in fact, the, uh, the government just released some new video of what happened. And that community is still devastated. Now, the BLET is assisting the National Transportation Safety Board, in that investigation. They can't say very much and try to pry what I could out of Eddie, but uh, he is in the middle of those talks. But uh, do check out that interview when you get an opportunity, awfpodcast.com. All right, let's go to Essential Ohio right now. Join uh, one of our longtime contributors and supporters here of America's Workforce. Boy, he's got his hands full. Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. And if you listen to the show last month, he dropped a bomb on me talking about the Columbus Regional Airport Authority and what they did. This is a big contract, $2 billion contract. And it goes to a out-of-state contractor who's notoriously anti-union. Dorsey, I know, <laughs> I know you are doing your best. And I read part of your letter, and uh, this was to the uh, Columbus Regional Airport Authority Board. Why don't you fill me in? Where do we stand on this issue, Dorsey? Go ahead. Yeah, so um, the mayor of Columbus, who obviously a huge friend of labor, uh, is the first mayor in the history of the city of Columbus to use community benefit agreements on public sector projects here in Columbus. Um, many of those have been used for models uh, throughout the country and other uh, municipal municipalities um, that are just a form of a project labor agreement that guarantee not only that jobs are done on time under budget, um, you know, and, and safely with local and, and a skilled, diverse workforce, but also um, there's aspirational goals in there for local work, workers, people of color, uh, veterans, uh, and things like that. Um, so the mayor uh, reached out uh, to Mike Nisley, who's head of the Ohio State Building Trades, Mark Fluharty from the Central Labor Council, and um, Tim Berga, uh, head of the Ohio State AFL-CIO, and they all met and discussed, obviously, um, what's going on here at the airport because I was coming up close to seven months in negotiations with Hensel Phelps with no movement towards a community benefit agreement, no agreement in place or anything. The mayor obviously was incredibly frustrated. So he met with their CEO, Joe Nardone, obviously 
conveyed his frustration on the matter. Uh, CEO Joe Nardone reached out to Mike Nisley. Um, you know, we've had a lot of letters of support sent to CRAA, uh, not only from the mayor and the county commissioners, but also from city attorney Zach Klein, um, council president Shannon Harden, pro tem Rob Dorns, uh, Franklin County engineer Cornell Robertson, Senator Sherrod Brown, stressing the importance of using a community benefit agreement on this project to make sure that we utilize a local and diverse workforce. So um, we thought Joe Nardone had gotten the point and gotten the message. Um, the letters he had said to Mike were an incredible pressure point, um, and he, uh, you know, needed them to stop. Mike said he couldn't control what other people were doing, but he would reach out to his friends and, and let them know that, you know, for a two-week window here, while we work towards an agreement that, uh, you know, to kind of chill out a little bit. So uh, that self-imposed, I guess, two-week ceasefire um, expired Monday, closed the business the 29th. So going back... Uh, they talked on the 12th, so we had, you know, had, had like two weeks, a little bit more than two weeks to come to an agreement. About 10 days after the 12th had passed, there had been no communication from Hensel Phelps and Elford uh, with myself, with Mike or anybody about a community benefit agreement. So Mike reached back out to the mayor and to Joe Nardone to give them an update. Obviously, the mayor was frustrated again, reached out to Joe Nardone a second time. So Joe reached out to Hensel Phelps. They sent me an email. Um, you know, stating they were willing to meet again, I immediately replied because one of the obstacles in their negotiation is they've been holding true uh, to an opt-out clause. So they've wanting to make it optional for contractors to sign on to the project labor agreement. And I've been telling them from day one, this is a non-starter because we're not going to agree, uh, you know, to contractors to pay substandard wages and benefits uh, and to have their workers working right along other workers that are receiving the industry standard wages and benefits, including health insurance, retirement and stuff. And it was just a non-starter. It wasn't, wasn't going to happen, you know. So they pretty much let it be known in negotiations that they wanted to uh, have that into the community benefit agreement or project labor agreement because they wanted to reserve the right to be able to bring in out-of-town contractors and out-of-town workers uh, to help uh, build this project, which obviously is a non-starter with everybody here in the community, not just the building trades, everyone. So we kind of went back and forth through emails a little bit, and I explained to Hensel Phelps that you know I was not going to meet with them unless they agreed, as per the mayor, uh, and Joe Nardone to take the opt-outs off the table. We were no longer going to negotiate on this. They finally agreed to it through their email that they were not going to discuss opt-outs anymore. We meet on Thursday morning uh, following those email exchanges, uh, which was the 25th. Um, you know, after a few minutes of pleasantries and stuff, and I'm getting my notes out and everything, uh, one of the first things that I introduce is I say, hey, you know, your guys' draft back to us as we're negotiating back and forth has no aspirational goals for people of color, for women, for vets, or for local workers. They let it be known, again, that they don't want that in there because they want the flexibility, obviously, to bring in out-of-state workers. Um, you know, I, I kind of, you know, voiced my behest to that. And then they led right in to opt-outs again. And I said, wait a minute. I said, we agreed in an email that we were not going to discuss opt-outs. They said that we were not in agreement that we were not going to discuss opt-outs, and they wanted to negotiate with that. Um, so that pretty much showed their, their, their stance that they were still stuck on that seven months to the day. So, uh, Mike again reached out to the mayor and president Joe Nardone following day to give him an update. Um, Friday, the 26th, Hensel Phelps reached out to Mike in a communication. I think they copied the CEO, Joe Nardone and told them that, um, you know, they were, they were severing negotiations with the Columbus building trades on a community benefit agreement. So.
that's where we stand. The Monday deadline came and went. Tuesday the 30th, they had their next CRAA meeting. Uh, I went down, voiced my displeasure, obviously, with the board, with the CEO, with their communications director, uh, Kristen Easterday, um, Jahan Harris, a new business agent here for IBW 683, went down, gave his public comments, also let it be known that we had found a couple of cases where, you know, their whole argument is that Hensel Phelps is going to be a good community partner and they're going to do right and they're going to enforce prevailing wage. You know, uh, in a few hours of just doing some basic research, we really haven't dug into it yet. We've already found some cases around the country where they failed to pay the proper wages and they've got some judgments against them. Um, and we let that be known to the board as well. Um, you know, Sarah Geis from the laborers spoke about what we're doing with diversity. She handed out their minority resource guide, our minority contractor resource guide to prove that we have a diverse pool of contractors to pull from to help them meet their minority uh, aspirational goals when it comes to contractors. And Leland Bass stood up and gave a great presentation on building futures and how important the project, how important the project is to our pre-apprenticeship program because without the jobs, our pre-apprenticeship pre-apprenticeship program building futures ceases to exist. And unfortunately, if they're going to bring out-of-state contractors and out-of-state workers, and they're going to pay substandard wages without any health care benefits, then our, our apprenticeship graduate, our pre-apprenticeship graduates from building futures are not going to be able to work on that project. So that's pretty much where we stand at right now. So it sounds like um, Hensel Phelps sold the Columbus Regional Airport Authority Board a bill of goods that they can't live up to. I mean, they told them they're going to be a, they're going to be good players, but you've done your research and they're not. And they're not they're, I, the the board. I can't believe the board is is buying into this right now. Yeah. So I think we're talking about next steps right now. Um, we have a small subcommittee that meets, and we have a meeting later this afternoon, and we're going to talk about next steps. But me speaking personally, without meeting with our subcommittee and and kind of you know getting our strategy together, um, you know my frustration has been from all the calls that I've gotten from elected. Um, from all the calls that I've gotten from community leaders and from calls that I've gotten from regular people, you know, are like, wait a minute, you guys, the Columbus Building Trades, are down there advocating for local workers and local contractors. The NAACP and President Anna Watson also spoke after the meeting. She was interviewed by, you know, all the local media, including the Columbus Dispatch, and she also reiterated that this isn't a union, non-union issue. You know, this is about getting local contractors and local workers on the project and making sure everybody agrees the area standard wages are paid and that also everybody gets health insurance and pension. That That's it. And, and there's a miscommunication, I think, between CEO Joan Ardone and also their communications director, Kristen Easterday. I think that they've got the board sold that Hensel Phelps is a great community partner, that they're going to pay prevailing wage. And, and this is absolutely, you know, not true. And what I would like to know is if, one, they vetted Hensel Phelps, this contractor, you know, and if they did vet them, if any of these judgments against them came to light, and if they did, how they awarded them a contract knowing that this was in their past. And if right. they didn't vet them and they weren't aware of these, why were, not the, why were they not aware of these? And I think this is what needs to be communicated to the board, either directly to the board members or through the the uh, people that appoint them. You know, there's there's eight members of the board right now. The mayor's appointees are Jordan Miller, Fred Burtley, Kenny McDonald, and Karen Morrison. The county commissioner's appointees are Elizabeth Kessler, Paul Chodak, 
William Hefner and Ramon Jones. And I, I think that, you know, you've served on boards, I've served on boards, health and welfare pension, and, you know, you've got to be fiduciary responsible. And it seems like that this board and, uh, and the people there at CRAA have not been fiduciarily responsible to this. This is going to be the largest public works project ever in the city of Columbus. And, you know, it's bad enough to bring in an out-of-town contractor who's, again, intent on bringing out-of-state contractors and out-of-state workers, but they're also not going to have any enforcement mechanism to ensure that they're going to pay them correctly, and they've got a proven track record around the country that they've not enforced what they've said that they're going to do. Well, shame on them if they didn't vet this contractor. Shame on them. And let me ask you this. If they find out that they didn't do their due diligence on vetting this contractor, can they say, okay, we're not going to do this? Is that possible at this stage, Dorsey? I don't know, and I think that that's what we've got to find out. And, I mean, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of records requests. I think there's going to be a lot of look back. And I think you bring up a good point, too. And, and you know, you and I have talked about this in our history of doing this podcast uh, since I've been in this position. Obviously, we have GCs and CMs here in the city that I have great relationships with, and we have GCs and CMs that maybe I don't have so great relationships with because we don't see eye to eye when it comes to some of these matters that are important to a lot of people in the community. However, every general contractor and every construction manager that either has reached out to me in the last two weeks or I have reached out to them is beyond, beyond upset and angry that they were not given the opportunity to um, be awarded this project. Again, a local works project and for the CRAA to go to a company based out of Colorado to do this project right here when we have large, large community partners that have proven that they can handle projects of this size or even bigger. Uh, Kokosing, Turner, um, Bechtel, who's here now building the Intel site. You know, they've done airports and terminals all over the world. They're building a $20 billion chip plant. They could easily handle a $2 billion airport terminal. Um, you know, I'm sure there's more here in the city, but a lot of these contractors are upset that this local entity that, again, is appointed by local elected leaders who many of us have voted for and supported have went outside of the state and the region to bring in a contractor to oversee this very large project. It's very frustrating. Frustrating and a slap in the face. All right, we got to uh, take a quick break here. Dorsey Hager joining us on our live line. Dorsey serves as Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Again, the website, columbusconstruction.org. You can follow them on Twitter at, well, X, I should say, Build Central OH. We'll continue with him later in the show. We're going to check in with Fred Redman. It's our first Friday with Fred. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. 
org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form and a local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit bacweb.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. Let's go back to our live line and rejoin Dorsey Hager on behalf of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. All right, I understand you uh, recently attended the NAB2 Leaders Conference. NAB2, of course, the North American Building Trades Union. So what can you uh, what can you tell us? What's the takeaway from that conference, Dorsey? Yeah, so every January, Sean McGarvey convenes all the leaders from the councils, um, you know, just for a mini-conference to kind of catch up, get ready before the legislative conference in the spring, and then that kind of gets us ready for the year, not only politically, but also work-wise, but also, you know, with outreach and pre-apprenticeship and everything we're doing. Sean started off, gave his report, obviously, touting all the benefits of our relationship with President Biden, everything his administration has done, including going in and talking about him passing rules uh, on governing the independent contractors, uh, which was great. You know, back in 2016, Trump rolled back a lot of those rules um, that had clearly defined the difference between employees and independent contractors. Many of those rules had been taken advantage of by ABC contractors, and unfortunately, the AGC had stood aligned with the ABC uh, in against Biden in, in kind of reversing this, which, you know, at times, unfortunately, even though the AGC is made up of some union contractors, unfortunately, the AGC at times has shown that they're not our friend. You know, they're not pro-project labor agreement. At times, they're not pro-Davis-Bacon. Um, and sometimes they're aligned in different states with the ABC against 
uh, prevailing wage. But obviously, this was huge for President Biden and his administration to do, to do rolling back that on independent contractors. And I know he worked hard with a lot of folks in his department and legal counsel to make sure that this was done well. They also talked about agreements that they had done uh, under PLAs, um, you know, which total a little over $100 billion uh, that they had worked on. They talked about the newly signed project labor agreement at the Micron ship plant out in Idaho, which was really, really fascinating. Um, you know, it's a, a big mega project similar to Intel here. Uh, it's going to be a great project for all the building ta- trades folks, not only in the state of Idaho, uh, but also in that region. Um, he also talked about how a lot of job sites have changed here lately as people not only are trying to get workers but retrain, retain workers, you know, just some basic stuff like paved parking, um, you know, walkways in and out to access to the job sites where you're not trolling through the mud, you know, running water, heated lunch and change rooms, you know, um, flushable toilets, things like that that are really adding up. Um, Bechtel is here building the chips plant. At Intel, they've got a huge job. It's going to be the first camp job done in the United States in quite a long time. It's out in Eli, Nevada, where they think they're going to have probably upwards of 4,000 building trades workers that will be there on a camp project, and they'll come in and work 21 days on, have seven days off, and then go back. And then kind of finishing with politics, uh, you know, Sean discussed obviously how important Senator Brown's race is here in the state of Ohio, how we got to keep make sure we get him reelected, keep him in the Senate to keep our edge here in the Senate. But also we've got to focus on Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan to make sure that we get President Biden reelected. Because obviously in our in our generation and maybe even in the history of this country, there's no been no better pro-labor president than Joe Biden. So we've got to get that message out to our members, get our folks organized, get them enthusiastic to vote, and we've got to make sure that we get him and ensure him another term so we can keep this thing going. Uh, Mike Monroe and Jim Brewer uh, gave some great reports on legislative stuff. They talked about grant funding for apprenticeship readiness programs, just like Building Futures that we have here. They talked about all the energy wins with solar and hydrogen hubs, which are going to create a ton of work for Building Trades members throughout the country. And um, they kind of ended with discussing the CHIPS money and the PLAs uh, awarded on these projects where CHIPS money had been awarded. So it was really a great conference. It was great to see everybody. It was great to catch up. It was good to catch up with Tom Krieger from Research and Education, Nicole Schwartz, who we work closely with on ARP expansion. So it was an awesome conference. A lot of information in a short time, which I was glad to bring back to our guys. You know, you bring up a really good point about what the Biden administration has done, at least in the first two years, because ever since the elections of 2022, everything has come pretty much to a halt. But the policies that came forward, the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, the CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, the Blue-Green Alliance, you're probably familiar with that organization. They were uh, started with the help of the steelworkers about almost 20 years ago. They did a lot of research on what has been created job-wise as a result of that good policy. It's like 3 million jobs. It's ridiculous. And we're just getting started. Unfortunately, other than shows like this, nobody seems to know about that. And it's it's all, to me, especially being in, in the public relations, everything is a PR game today. I mean, everything is PR. It doesn't matter. You, you have a product you got to sell it, and the PR and the advertising go hand-in-hand hand on getting that product to consumers. Same thing goes with messaging here. 
And was that discussed? You, you kind of touched on it at the NAB2 conference because the, uh, there's a lot of people that need to know how good this administration has been for them. You follow me on that, Dorsey? Yeah, and I think a lot of it does go to messaging. And I think you're seeing that a lot of the Republicans and their messaging right now is on the border um, because they know that they can't win on the economy. I mean, even inflation, you know, gas prices are going down, food prices are going down, utility prices are going down. You know, we had that huge inflation post-COVID, but things are starting to self-correct and come back. And even you and I have talked about um, material products and uh, goods and services, but also, um, you know, materials that we use to build on job sites, those are starting to come back down as well. So as inflation is cooling, and this is coming from a bipartisan group that looks at adjusting, um, you know, uh, interest rates uh, to control inflation, you know, even they said that in their report that came out this week. So I think the Biden administration has got to continue to harp on the economy, has got to really uh, hammer that down. And the jobs that you talked about being created by policies that they created, especially the Blue-Green Alliance, you know, these are not minimum wage jobs or entry-level jobs. These are good-paying union jobs that pay good wages, great benefits, where you can support a family uh, on a good middle-class income. And I think that's the message that they got to tout. And it'll be interesting to see his State of the Union address coming up here soon, and I hope that he hits on all that, because I think that those are really important, and those are the messages that we got to get across to our members yeah good point there jobs but we want good jobs and and i I remember this back in the 90s when when clinton was in office there were a lot of jobs created but they weren't really really good jobs and that's when the you know internet started exploding back then but uh we got to make sure that we got to bring the manufacturing jobs back that's happening i mean the intel plant is a good example of that so we just got to get that messaging out there. All right, good conversation. Good luck on that that airport situation, and we'll be on it here on America's Workforce. Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary, Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, columbusconstruction.org for complete updates. You take care. We'll uh, talk to you next month. Okay, brother? All right. Thank you, Flash. Uh, like I've been telling our members, one way or another, we're going to be at the airport the next six years. Either we're going to be inside building it, or we're going to be outside letting the people know what's going on on the inside. So, uh, you know, thanks for all you do, and I will certainly keep you updated. Have a good weekend, Flash. All right. I like that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's our first Friday with Fred, Fred Redman of the AFL-CIO. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.com. 
www.americanfederationofgovernmentemployees.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash lmct now back to america's workforce here's ed flash ferens and remember you can check us out on facebook or follow us on x formerly known as twitter that would be a wf union podcast by the way this next segment brought to you in part by the north coast labor federation hard to believe it's already the first of february and it's our first friday with fred Fred Redman, Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm worried about this guy because every time I talk to him, he is somewhere else in America. They're working him hard. Long, Of course, you know, having that steelworker blood in him for almost 50 years, that kind of helps. But uh, Fred is now in Los Angeles. Fred, why are you in Los Angeles today? What's going on over there, brother? Well, thank you, Flash. I'm in uh, L.A. Uh, this morning. I'll be speaking in Orange County at their annual uh, Martin Luther King Unity Breakfast where organized labor and uh, community civil rights groups, they all come together uh, the uh, first Friday in uh, February starting the celebration of Black History Month. And, um, you know, it's a celebration of our achievements and a reaffirmation of the goals that... uh, the progressive groups want to achieve in the city of Los Angeles. So I'll be their keynote speaker this morning, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, they usually get over a 1,000 people at this breakfast, and uh, it's going to be a great event. Well, Los Angeles is a great labor town. There's no doubt about that. In fact, all of uh, California is a great state for uh, for unions. I saw their union density. They had a little dip, but they're still very strong. You know, speaking yeah. of uh, Dr. King, how was that conference in uh, Mont? It was Montgomery, wasn't it? How did that go? It was Montgomery, Alabama. And we're glad we went there, the cradle of the civil rights movement. Uh, we had uh, like 850 delegates. Everybody was energized. And I'll tell you, Flash, one of the highlights of the conference was the uh, tour of the Legacy Museum. They really gave a actual depiction of the uh, North Atlantic slave trade all the way up through mass incarceration. And uh, the museum made itself available to all of our delegates. And we had some great speakers, some great panels, and we honored uh, some great trade unionists at our banquet that night. Uh, Duncan Crabtree Ireland, who led the negotiations with SAG AFRA, uh, you know, we honor Clayola Brown, longtime warrior and activist, 
for her years in the social justice and civil rights struggle. Uh, and, and Ryan Boyer, who's the only black director of the building trades out of Philadelphia, was honored. And we also on, on, honored a group of workers uh, from Bluebird that defied the odds and organized in Georgia. So it was a great event. There was a lot of energy in the room. And we set the tone for the work that we have to do going into this election. So it was a great conference. Real good, great good, conference. Good to hear. I want to talk about this uh, border crisis. And I had a really good conversation recently. And you know this guy, Len Aguilar. Len's the oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. secretary treasurer of the Texas AFL-CIO. And, you know, you we're hearing right. so much about the, the border between Texas and Mexico. And I saw on the AFL-CIO website, the five essentials for a just response to the migrant surge. Yeah. Those of you listening right now, do check this out. In fact, you could uh, you can get it in a PDF, and it's aflcio.org. Uh, one of them I want to zero in, and, and Len talked about this too in detail, preventing labor exploitation because, Fred, you know, I mean, this, this country has a history of using people and abusing people, especially when it comes to those that are looking for a better life. And, and that's exactly what's going on at the border because some of these people are being tortured down there. Women are being raped. They're trying to find their way out. And I understand there's a legal process and all this. They're yeah. trying to work that out, but boy, I don't want to get into that discussion, but I want to talk about what the AFL CIO is pushing here. So I'd like to get your perspective on this, Fred, go ahead. Well, you know, in terms of, I'm going to start uh, with uh, what you mentioned in terms of preventing labor exploitation. And look, we all need to understand that migrants, like everybody else, are eager to support their families and achieve uh, self-sufficiency. But there's legal barriers in this country and there's backlogs that make it difficult and far too slow for them to receive that formal authorization. So it's these realities that force too many migrants, including children, into informal economies and dangerous workplaces where they are vulnerable to exploitation. So um, what we're calling on and what we think in order to prevent labor exploitation, first of all, we need to expedite work permitting. We need to make sure that we come up with a system that expedite work permits and Quite naturally, we need to strengthen labor standards and enforcement, and we have to hold employers accountable. And, uh, you know, it's all about protecting workers who are organizing and who report these violations. And we have to, as a society, we have to reject approaches that give employers control over workers' immigration status. So, you know, preventing labor exploitation, you know, we have to expand humanitarian protections. You know, we can't no longer live in a society. We have to reject putting barbed wire in the uh, rivers, uh, you know, to cause harm to people that's trying to cross. And we have to provide resources to uh, frontline communities. I mean, we've all seen on TV where they're busing migrants to uh, cities across the country. And... Uh, you know, it's just a humane way to treat people who's only, you know, who's only uh, 
abuse in life is to seek a better life for their families. And, um, you know, we have to make sure that we're at the table. You know, organized labor uh, needs to be at the table helping to address these approaches. Under this administration, you know, we do have a seat at the table. This president, uh, you know, realized that the issue of the border have to be addressed. But what we're seeing now is a recalcitrant and hostile Republican Party who is willing to forego any remedies to the border crisis for political purposes. So uh, this is a situation that is very, very essential going into 2024. It has very serious, humane connotations, and uh, organized labor is not going to rest until we come up with a way to respond to the migrant surge. Well said, my man. Once again, this is right on the uh, AFL-CIO page, aflcio.org, five essentials for a just response to the migrant surge. Number one, welcome migrants humanely. We just touched on preventing labor exploitation. Number three, expand humanitarian protections. Number four, mm-hmm. provide resources to frontline communities. And lastly, work with unions. Work with unions. So important. All right. We've right. got some time here. And I saw also the year in labor that Liz Schuler put together. Liz, of course, president of the AFL-CIO. She took a look at uh, what happened last year in 2023. And that was just the beginning. Okay, we, we got one month into the new year. How do you feel about the rest of, of 2024? I mean, you already touched on some of the politics. I'm going to stay away from yeah. that. The, the, I want to know if we can continue that momentum from last year, Fred. What's your take? Well, I think we can. And I think we're doing just that early into this new year. I mean, as Liz laid out in her piece, you know, uh, Last year was a record year for unions, you know, in terms of organizing. You know, we grew the labor movement by over 200,000 new members. Uh, We see a lot of energy out there amongst workers who realize that, uh, you know, they want to share in the wealth that they go to work and help create every day. And they're turning to unions. They feel as though organized labor is the best path for them to – you know, get the rights and respect on the job that they deserve. So we're excited uh, coming off of uh, last year where we saw uh, the union movement really flourish, record collective bargaining agreements, and uh, we're carrying that momentum into 2024. And we're turning our attention to the election in November. We're going to go into November with this energy that's been generated primarily by young workers. And out of the 200,000 workers that was organized last year, uh, a a large majority of them was workers under 45 years old. So we're carrying the momentum of a labor movement that's on the move, of workers in this country who are turning to the labor movement for, uh, you know, respect and dignity on the job. And we're going to carry that momentum into the 2024 election as we continue our quest to organize the unorganized workers in this country who desire a union. We're going to continue to fight for record contracts through our national unions. 
and we're going to continue to call out the bad actors, those corporations who do not respect workers' rights, who refuse to share in the wealth that they create with uh, our members throughout this country. And we're excited about the possibilities of 2024 going into November, where we have to make sure that this president gets an opportunity to finish the job that he started as the most labor-friendly president we've seen in our history. So we're excited about 2024. And Liz laid it out in her piece, the successes we had in 2023, and it gives us the momentum to continue to go forward. Altogether, 14.42 million people in organized labor. That's according to the union density numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And Fred, I'll tell you, I was glad to see this. Uh, you know California, Hawaii, yeah. New York, they're, they're big union states. But there was also a boost in South Carolina, which was the least unionized state in the country. In 2022, percent of employed by unions was 1.7. Last year, it went to 2.3. So as I That's often cool. say on this show, the needle is moving in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's moving in the right direction. And uh, the majority of that number come from manufacturing unions where companies uh, felt as though when Nikki Haley was governor, she invited to come down, she condemned unions and uh you know workers in south carolina is rejecting that notion uh we've had successful campaigns in the tire industry in uh, south carolina and other industrial manufacturing facilities we got ongoing campaigns in south carolina going on right now because whether a worker lives in the north and the south and the east or the west whatever part of this country that they reside in all workers want the same thing they want to be treated with dignity and respect. They want safety and health on the job. They want to one day retire with the dignity and respect that they deserve. And uh, the numbers show that South Carolina is not excluded from that desire of working people throughout this country. So, like I said, we have ongoing campaigns going on throughout the South, including South Carolina, and we're going to continue to press forward and uh, make sure that workers' voices are heard and that those who desire to uh, have a union in the workplace, we're going to be there for them and do everything we can to bring them into our labor family. Amen, brother. Fred Redman, Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, part of our first Friday with Fred. You uh, have a safe trip back, okay, brother? Okay, thank you. Look forward to talking to you. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, security workers at the Seattle Museum and the IBEW in Central Ohio. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.